Well, Happy New Year's, church family. This is uh, 2021. Uh, crazy that when the 2020 went by so quickly, but I trust that you, the Lord has protected you and um, throughout, throughout the holiday season, and I also trust that you had a good time with loved ones, and even hopefully you were able to uh, join us in some of the outdoor services. Um, uh, as I said, at the end of last year, uh, uh, as we took a break, as I took a break from recording a podcast, we're going to actually gonna spend the bulk of this year going through the book of Exodus. Um, and this is something that I've been praying through, thinking about uh, most toward the end of last year, because I was just thinking what would be helpful for us to think through um, and to just even learn from Old Testament. Um, I'm a fan of the whole Bible, uh, but I think the Old Testament is often neglected because uh, I think it could be just because it's, it's very you know long narrative, but I figure in a context like this where I can just kind of break it up in parts and easy try and make it as easily as digestible as possible, um, that I'll just try to teach through as many of the Old Testament or New Testament and as as much as I can as a way to just feed you guys. I know this is still we're still in shelter in place, um, the vaccines are being rolled out and everything else, uh, but that doesn't mean that um, you know things are completely like they were. And it's just my way of just kind of shepherd and uh, care for you by feeding you God's word um, as, as much as I can with the limitations uh, that I have. Um, so I do hope that as we go through this book for the next several months, it would be encouraging to you. I've mentioned last year that the reason why I want to go over this book, too, is because I think this book is, in a lot of ways, uh, it's like the Old Testament version of the gospel. Um, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, after the Torah, there's always this reference back to the Lord delivering them from from Egypt. Even though it's like generations later, um, the people that were at the end of you know Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they weren't even in the Exodus. But yet, this is always reference. This book is always reference. In a lot of ways, this is kind of like how the gospel is to us. When we talk about people forgetting their first love or that they um, you know, forgot what how good. Christ is to them. We're referring back to the Gospels that was written um, before our time and, and you know way before, and no one, none of us has ever lived through it. Um, so a lot of ways, what the Israelites at the time of the exile and the New Testament church now, there's this long distance between what is written and revealed in Scripture, and at times the forgetfulness of, of, of us. And I hope that as I go through this, that we, I'm going to just draw some uh, applications and principles for us to think about, uh, mainly about what we need to be in light of who God is, because I do think that even though time has passed a lot from Exodus or even the Gospels, uh, the p- human nature doesn't change. Uh, God doesn't change, and human nature do- in some sense doesn't change without the work of Christ. You know, human nature is still sinful and foolish at times, and we're forgetful. So uh, that's what I would, we're, we're going to go through the book of Exodus, so really to make our hearts, um, make us see that we are just like the Israelites, that we can be forgetful of God's goodness to us. And my hope is that we learn to cherish Christ and all of God that's revealed in Scripture. Also, something that we're going to do something new this year. Um, last year, if you've been kind of following along, I, I would usually do the podcast from Monday to Thursday. Uh, with the schedule that I have now, I think I'm going to change that to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That way it will give me a little bit more time to devote to other things in ministry um, and at the same time be able to cover uh, more ground with uh, relatively uh, less episodes, uh, which also means that each episode might be a little bit longer. In the past, each one was about 10 minutes or so. This one, this time now, is just going to be around like 12 to maybe 13 minutes per episode. 
you know, depending on the passage and the application. So this is all introduction in terms of what was like the pre-intro uh, before the actual book. Uh, but before we get into Exodus chapter 1, let us pray. Father God, thank you for um, allowing us to go through another or start another another year. And we ask that you that this year, just like any other day and year in the past, that we would devote our life uh, to you in the way uh, that we study and know your know you through your word and, and the application of discipleship and evangelism and striving for holiness. Lord, we want your word to change us in the way that you want us to, Lord. Thank you for allowing us to go through this book. May you give us attentive hearts and soft hearts to be able to conform our thoughts and our will to your will, Lord. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The just war theory, it's uh, something that those made hundreds of years ago. It's actually something that we still do and use uh, today, uh, mostly in Western cultures. Uh, this is um, something that uh, people would think through in terms of whether or not a country should uh, go to war with another country. It's really the theory of like, what is okay? When is it ever okay for a group of people or a nation to go and wage war against another nation? philosopher like Aristotle argued that it should be the last resort, that every other option must be exhausted before an action is to, is to take place. So you would try to do things like uh, talk things out, make contract, do peace, do as much as you can, but if, if, if all possible, avoid it. But if it is, then that is the last resort. Um, Augustine and Thomas Aquinas both believe that it is okay uh, part of the just war theory, and they, they're actually the, the, the strongest proponents of this. Um, but they believe that it's actually okay as long as it brings about ultimate good on earth. Um, so when you look at things like you know World War One, World War Two, and all these great wars in the past, um, Christians will often think through: how, Is this okay? Are Christians called to be pacifists, or are, are there times in history that Christians are allowed to rebel and fight against another nation's and? How people debate uh, what people are supposed to do is tricky, but Christians understand no, no matter which side you take, whether you believe in a just war theory or not, we ultimately do believe that uh, God is sovereign. Um, that sometimes even in these just war theories and these situations in the past where some people think, yeah, this is totally just uh, war, and they eventually like, they look back history and realize, oh, this is not just, or they might think, the other way too, like oh, we should have fought uh, instead of you know being passive about it. Ultimately, no matter what the result may be, however you stand in this true just war theory, God is ultimately in control, and that's actually something that should give us um, great hope. That in light of human achievement or even human failures, God is ultimately the one that's decider of it of all things. He uses everything in in you know all of things in history ultimately to bring about his purposes. And that's actually how Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 ends. As you, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So when we get to the book of Exodus, Exodus, I think it's actually the book that that wrestles with that tension the most. I think, I mean, throughout scripture, uh, there's, there's these moments, but I think particularly in the earlier parts and even later on in Exodus, you know, there's, and actually, I guess if we think about it throughout history, there's a sense in which every time uh, when man makes a decision, decision, whether good or bad, um, we don't know until history uh, resolves itself and we can see. Um, whatever war that you studied or read about in the past, uh, you know, they say like, um, either history is written by the victors or <clears throat> or that like you know history will be the deciding factor whether or not this is right or wrong 
But for us, we have the book of Exodus, and if you if if we look through this entire the, the totality of this book, we can see how, yeah, in light of man's failures in many ways, God is still good. That God ultimately brings about His sovereign plan. So the book of Exodus actually starts out with this. Um, you know, we're familiar with this. This is the you know, the killing of all the or the plot to kill all the Jewish babies. But um, again, giving a little bit more background, this book is written by Moses. Mo- Moses wrote each the first five books in the Torah. Most of it, I would argue, because at the end of Deuteronomy, he, he has this writing where he he dies in Israel, like goes about. There's no way that he, I don't hold to the view that he he wrote it and then it happened. Rather, um, I think Joshua wrote the end of Deuteronomy to just kind of uh, you know tie the end of of the Torah. And this is uh, again evident by the fact that uh, you know Moses d- uh, doesn't make it to the promised land, uh, but but for the most part Moses is the writer of most of the Torah. I'll say you know ninety percent of the ninety ninety five percent is written by by Moses. And this book is particularly interesting, particularly interesting because the purpose of this book is that God will ultimately bring about um, his his promise that he's made in the past. In Exodus chapter six verse seven it says this that. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with great and outstretched arm and with great judgment. Then I will take you for my people, and I will make and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of Egypt of the Egyptians. So the uh, the reason why this whole thing happened, if we understand even all the way from back from Genesis chapter twelve, that God made a covenant with Abraham, saying that your people, you're gonna, you're going to have a whole bunch of descendants, and then you're not only you're going to have a whole bunch of people, but you these people are going to have the land, and I'm going to be their king. Uh, this is a promise um, in the last book, and we actually see how this book uh, plays into uh, God's sovereign plan. Um, the point of this book is salvation, uh, but not just uh, but not just in the greater sense, because we see throughout the Old Testament that how God deliver brings everything about, but in the micro sense and how God delivers them through out of Egypt. Um, God uses evil for His own glory. He allows bad things to happen for His own glory. Now, I think. Uh, this is part of how God uses even wicked, e- wicked people to do it. Because remember, if you look back at Genesis, he has the promise that you're going to have a group of people and they're going to go into this land. And at this point, in the beginning of Exodus, there are, you're going to see a whole bunch of Jewish people, but they don't have land. And God's going to use wicked Pharaoh to compel them to leave. And also when you know, Moses going out and coming back and then bringing the people out of uh, Egypt. Uh, so this is actually a, a cool way in which we can interpret the Exodus, is that uh, God ultimately fulfills his plan, even though the people may not even be aware of it. So uh, for today, we're going to actually going to spend our time just going through this text, and then the next two, the rest of the remaining episodes of this week, we're going to do some applicational points. So let's go about Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one, with his household. This is significant here in the beginning. Is that this is a, con- a continuation of what happened in uh, well, from Genesis? It's, it's it's saying this is the same story, and it's important for us to know is that ultimately, even though Moses wrote this, is the Holy Spirit is the one who uh, breathed out and they wrote everything that they need to write, and this is just a continuation of what was uh, what happened at the end of Genesis. 
first two, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zubuin, and Benjamin, Danan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher, all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were seventy in numbers, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But those of Israel were fruitful, and increased greatly, and multiplied, and became exceedingly mighty, so that the land was filled with them. So time has passed, and then all 12 tribes, you remember at the end of Genesis, uh, Joseph, um, you know, he was sold into slavery uh, brought by his brothers, and then uh, by sovereign events, uh, Joseph was able to rescue his family, and again, again that's the way that you see God protecting the line, and then they protect him through uh, by being in this land of Egypt. Um, but now they, they've, they've grown exceedingly. There's a whole bunch of people there. Everyone is, uh, all the Jews have multiplied greatly. And this is supposed to even make you, you as a reader think back to the beginning of Genesis where God tells uh, Adam to be fruitful and multiply and even to Noah when, God, when they were multiplying, they would be fruitful. Same language here. And this is what's going on in, in the context of Egypt, that there's a group of people inside another group of people. <laughs> Uh, now, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know jo uh, Joseph. Uh, he said to the people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply in, in the event of war. They will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they, afflicted to, so they appointed the taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh's stone uh, st storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. Uh, but the more they afflicted, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. So yeah, the uh, this is now generations later, and the, the Pharaoh here, has no idea who Joseph is. He didn't see the benefits of how jo uh, Joseph um, and his dreams what saved Israel. Uh, so he for, he doesn't care about this family line. He's like, worried about them. He there's this kind of like a xenophobia that's going on here. And what's what's unique about this section here is is actually in verse nine where they're known as the the people of the sons of Israel for the very first time in all of Scripture. Um, this is obviously Moses writing, looking back. Uh, he did not write this. I mean, he wasn't even born at this part of the story, but he must have had some sort of, someone tell him, or, or I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired him, but he had this record of what was going on and why the um, Egyptians turned on the Israelites. Um, and, you know, the, the, the Egyptians were afraid um, that the, you know, that if there was some sort of uprising, that the, the, the Jews or the Israelites would be able to overthrow them. Verse 13, the Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter and hard labor in mortar and bricks and, to, and, and at all kinds of labor in the field, all the labors which were rigorously in, imposed on them. They thought that by putting more labor on them that they would either get discouraged or maybe like have some work accident and die, and then there'll be less uh, population. You know, this is a way to do population control, but it backfired, turned on them. Again, this, this idea of like man's plan is going to fail, but God's plan is going to reign, it's going to show up again. Um, actually, the rest of this chapter, verse 15, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrews' midwives, one of whom was named Sapphira and the other was named Pua. It's, it's interesting because, again, these are the only two ladies as named. Everyone else is just kind of in general, since like Pharaoh and, um, uh, yeah, like the Egyptians, the, everyone else. But these two, these midwives, these two Egyptian midwives are named, and it's, I think it's probably God's divine plan to show you that, yeah, these are going to be remembered 
as the midwives that essentially spared these uh, Israel Israelites or Jewish boys. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrews, Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, it is, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. If it is a daughter, then you shall live. Um, so they basically, uh, this is, it's, it's implied here that this was like a secret plot. It wasn't something that's like public yet. But the um, Pharaoh gives this order to these midwives. They could be the leaders of the group here. And they're saying, kill every Jewish boy. If it's a girl, let them live. If it's a boy, kill them. And the, I guess the implication is that, um, you know, if it's a lady, then like maybe Egyptian can um, you know, marry them and have kids with them. Uh, and the, the line dies. But for the, um, you know, because back then they, they see like the line is through the male. Uh, but by killing the boy, uh, the line kind of ends. Uh, verse 17, but the midwives feared God and did not do as a king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boy live. Um so this is a, a moment in uh, in this book where these midwives um, chose not to follow the the Egypt the Egyptian the Pharaoh. Uh, they feared God, and and the, it's implied in the language that it's not that they feared Yahweh yet, or this, it might not be because there's no way they might have there's no way they would have had the same type of knowledge the way that the uh, Israelites have. Um, but they, but even in the Egyptian understanding, they, they, they believe in like, okay, they'll have to deal with God at some point. And they saw that this action against these little baby boys are is evil. So they decided not to follow it. Verse 16, so the king of Egypt called for the midwife and said, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? This is actually years later. So when the boy, when after like, after they defied this or years later, the, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh found out and and the reason why that is is because back then it wasn't like our day when we go to like shop for clothes for babies like you know boys is blue girls is pink at the time they all wore the same color so when you know they're kids or babies you can't tell the difference in fact if you look at my son pictures of my son as a baby now and when my daughter was like a nine month old you would think that they look identical same idea here like if you were pharaoh just looking around in the early stages you would not have known the difference but only when they get older that's when they realize hey these are boys and these are girls. Verse nineteen, the midwives said to Pharaoh. Again, this is um, this is this, they've been preparing for this answer because they they realize at some point they're gonna have to you're gonna get caught. And this is the response because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives can get to them. Now, as you see this, this it could be. I mean, this, a lot of people will debate over text, was, whether this is, was a tactfulness that they're saying, because the stuff that they could say could be true, but it could also mean that they were just being tactful in the sense like, like they, they knew about this plot and they just told the Egyptian, the, the Israelite ladies when they're giving birth to like, okay, just let me know when you need help. And when they need help, they just go slowly uh, and or turn a blind eye uh, when there's when they're supposed to see like whether or not this is a boy or a girl. Um, they, they could have been very tactful that way or they could have just lied. Um, because it said in verse 70 that they feared God. So their motive was one thing, but the actions were other. Um, and there's going to be debate on whether or not uh, what they did was right or wrong. And which we'll explain, I'll explain a little bit more later on what that is, what that means. Verse 20. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. So the Lord saw their action, saw what they've done in the past, and that, that basically delivered, the spared these little babies and the Lord gave them favor in that way. Verse 21, the midwives feared God. He established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who was born, who was born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. 
so whereas before it was like work, making it work so that it was like subtly destroyed them uh, the line didn't work and then there was a secret tactic of like okay using these midwives to kill the babies and now uh, instead of that there he's just doing this overt commandment to go and kill all the all the babies uh, and throw them into the nile all the baby boys and um in the, in the Egyptian mind, the, the Nile, I mean, there's some ironic twist in that the, for the Egyptian, uh, the, the Nile is, is known for fertility, so they're like, they didn't want the kids to be thrown in there uh, as the Israelites are actually ones being very uh, fertile. So when we look at this first chapter, what are we supposed to do with this? Again, if you look at the whole theme of the whole book, is that God redeems his people, he saves them, um, he does it through. Uh, any any means necessary, and even if the people are not aware of it. So this week we're going to look at the uh, two points. We're going to look at the evils, uh, that God is sovereign over the evils of evil men, and God is sovereign even over the evils of good men, or in this case, good midwives. God is sovereign over evil men, and God is sovereign over the evils of good women. And that's, uh, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at how God is still good in those situations. Um, and it's, it maybe get, this might get a little philosophical, um, but my hope is that we understand that ultimately we can trust God in every decision that we make or even decisions that are made upon us. And as we think through the, these things, it should give us hope in the future uh, and not to be so um, caught up in the moment and decisions that people make in the present day. I hope that this lesson is going to be encouraging, comforting to you during this time. I uh, look forward to going through the next part with you. Take care and have a good day.